Welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love cocktails and I love the macabre. So every week I'm bringing you a cocktail recipe in history and some ghost stories. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Welcome back, babies. Today is part two of Famous Occultist. Part one aired on March 24th. If you haven't checked that out yet, please go do so. I covered Rasputin and Crowley in that episode, and I was absolutely insane for thinking I could squeeze in other occultists in with them. That would have been like a four-hour episode, and nobody wants that, especially me. That's way too much editing for one session. So here we are with part two. I promise this isn't like a three-hour show. Promise. Part one featured the classic Cosmopolitan as its cocktail, and today we're going to cover the Cosmonaut. Trying to keep the theme on here, okay? We have the cosmos. Follow me with this cosmonaut. The cosmonaut was created by Milk and Honey Bar's Sasha Petrasky, so it's relatively new as far as cocktails go. You know, since some reach for centuries back. Man, Sasha Petrasky, that man is just like an engineer of cocktails. Milk and Honey Bar has came up with some pretty iconic things over the years. It's sort of though, it is the Cosmonaut is kind of a play on the Cosmopolitan, but it's just amped up with more flavor thanks to the raspberry jam it uses. So let's make one. You're going to need two ounces of dry gin, one ounce of lemon juice, two bar spoonfuls of raspberry jam. Add all the ingredients into the cocktail shaker with ice and shake it until it's chilled. Strain it into a stemmed glass. It's so simple and easy peasy and it does not require a garnish. You can of course add a raspberry or something if you want to. No need. So easy. So good. So cheers. We'll be right back after this break and I'll have some more famous occultists. Today we're going to jump into Nostradamus, Henry Agrippa, and Edward Case. guys, did you know I have a new book out? It's called Drinking with the Stars, Cocktails for the Zodiac. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a fun little book that pairs a cocktail with each zodiac sign. So inside is a little blurb about your star sign and then the cocktail I think best pairs with it. It's really fun to go through and make these cocktails. So check it out. It's available on Amazon and I can post a link in the show notes. Cheers. And I'm back. We're going to kick this off with Nostradamus. Was he actually an occultist? Maybe, maybe not. But the occult did follow and appreciate his work and his predictions, although he only started by writing almanacs. It's wild to me that to think that like super Christian God-fearing people read the current day farmer's almanac yearly and swear by planting by the signs and they have no idea it's actually just astrology. It's absolutely 100% astrology. Like when they say, you got to plant on a new moon because you grow with the new moon. Or don't do it on a full moon or your things won't grow. They have no idea they're doing astrology, but they are and it cracks me up. So I'll just let them live in their delusional world where they're not participating in that. Nostradamus was born December 1503. He was born to a Jewish family that eventually converted to Catholicism. Not sure how that happens. Seems like total opposite ends of the spectrum, but hey, to each their own. He began his studies at the University of Avignon, but had to stop short when the plague broke out. He also had a wife and two kids who he also lost to the plague, after which he traveled and assisted doctors with trying to find a cure to the plague. He then began work as an apothecary, then enrolled into the University of Montpelier. 
which he got kicked out of because apothecary work was considered a manual trade, which was forbidden by the university. So their students were not allowed to do manual labor or manual trades. They were like supposed to be thinkers and philosophers. This was beneath them for some reason. Getting kicked out did not faze him though. His almanac he wrote in 1550 became wildly successful and he continued to write them for years to come. He became an astrologer to the wealthy, including noblewoman Catherine de Medici. He then began work on his book of prophecies called the French Quatrains. To avoid religious persecution, he used multiple languages and kind of like riddled them all together, which is why they do seem so vague at times. He did that to protect himself. The quatrains predict things like wars, disease outbreaks, natural disasters, all things that could affect the world as a whole. So let's talk about some of his quatrains and the predictions that have actually came true over the years. Nostradamus predicted Henry II of France. Nostradamus wrote, the young lion will overcome the older one, that he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage, and that two wounds will ensure a cruel death. Henry II died in a jousting accident where a younger soldier lanced him and the lance splintered into the invincible king's skull. He survived this initial injury but later died of sepsis because of it. So it kind of referred to King Henry as the older lion and then that knight as the younger one. See, very vague, like you got to piece these things together, but he has more that you could make believe what you want them to be. The Great Fire of London. Nostradamus wrote, The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23s the 6. An ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. 23s the 6 was interpreted to be 1666. If you're good at math, I suppose that works out. The ancient lady may have referred to London itself, although the fire originated in a bakery and wasn't due to a lightning strike. So that one's iffy, but people have been giving him credit for it for centuries now. Then there was Hitler. Yes, Nostradamus may have also predicted Hitler. He wrote, From the depths of West Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. And what does this child do? He will, by his tongue, seduce a great troop. And his fame will spread far beyond Europe. Maybe a bit vague, but I'll buy this one. World War II's Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombs. Also, this was quite a vague prediction, but let's hear it out. His prediction foretells famine within plague, potentially a reference to radiation sickness and the lasting disruption of the war, and the people put out by steel, which may point to the planes that dropped the bombs. That one's really, really vague, but okay. Even more vague than that was the Kennedy assassination when Nostradamus predicted, from on high, evil will fall on the great man. Perhaps, perhaps a reference to the fact that he was shot from a distance by a sniper or snipers, you know, because they were high up on that little knoll or whatever. So perhaps people have been giving him credit for it, though. And some even believe he predicted 9-11. If you're an American, especially a millennial American, this was a life-changing core memory event during our lifetime. I, I was in eighth grade. I was in gym class. I think every millennial and maybe older can tell you exactly where they were when 9-11 took place. They let us watch it on TV, which is pretty fucked up. We all just got trauma because they thought we needed to see this. But anyways, Nostradamus predicted two steel birds will fall from the sky on the metropolis. The sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. Fire approaches the great new city. Immediately, a huge scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will roam the earth for a little time. And if you think along the lines of still birds equaling planes, the new metropolis, New York City, 
blood will flow with the rivers. We immediately went to war after this. So I would have given this one. The other ones were pretty vague, but these things I can piece together. I can give him that. Whether you believe them or not, or you just think they're odd coincidences, you do you. Not here to argue, but personally, I don't believe in coincidences. I think he was a great predictor of things and a man far beyond genius for his time. We need to bring back philosophers and astrologers. I think that was literally people's jobs. Like people paid him to predict things. And then you had like guys like Plato's that were just like philosophers. Bring these people back. We need more of this in the world. But let's move on to another interesting occultist named Henry Agrippa. Henry Agrippa was a German-born esoteric who lived from September 1486 through February 1535. Not a long lifetime there. His family was of mid-nobility and he attended college at the University of Cologne where he gained more knowledge and interest in the occult. He later studied in Paris where he was involved in a secret occultist society and he later served as a mercenary in the Spanish army where he became a captain and was later named a Ritter or a Knight by Emperor Maximilian I. While traveling and working as a soldier, he also worked as a theologist, physician, and a legal advisor. The man was a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades at the time. In 1533, he published his most famous work, The Three Books of Occult Philosophy, which he heavily based on the Kabbalah, Hermeticism, and Neoplatoism. This book worked to fight skepticism and prove that magic could, could solve most of one's problems. So you can still find a copy of this book on Amazon, but it's a bit pricey at $135. And who knows how much this has been edited from his original work. I would love to read it, get my hands on it. Maybe I'll find it at a library and just get into his original work because, you know, if magic can solve all my problems, I'm in. Sign me up. Teach me how to do it, okay? <laughs> this book was filled with Agrippa's take on intellectual magic and making it all work for yourself. It features schools of thought and practice such as astrology, numerology, angels, and the name of God. It also teaches alchemy, scrying, and ceremonial magic. So it's all there. And his kind of take on things was like, if you're into tarot, the magician card like reflects you. And the magician can make anything happen, right? He's magic. So if you believe that you are a magic person, like your thoughts become things, that was kind of Agrippa's school of thought was, yeah, you can do anything you decide to do. A lot of people just don't believe that and they kind of fuck up their own lives because of it. Been there, done that, but we're working on it. Next up, I have Mr. Edgar Case, an American clairvoyant. We don't get very many good ones here in the States, but this one, I like Mr. Case. He's one of my favorites of all time. Case was born in Kentucky to farmer parents in March of 1877. From a young age, Case was able to put himself in a trance-like state and just wake up knowing things. He was one of six children born into a very Christian family. At a young age, he claimed to have seen the ghost of one of his grandfathers. He claimed the figure became transparent if he looked hard enough and very much convinced himself that he was seeing his late grandfather's ghost. Case was very involved in the church, but more so than most children who were forced to go by their religious parents. He had read the Bible cover to cover at least a dozen times and claimed that a winged woman had come to him and that he was a bit afraid of her at first. She told him all his wishes and prayers would come true, and he told her that he wished that he could help other children. After this encounter with what was believed to be an angel, Case had a particularly rough day at school where he couldn't focus on his lessons and his teachers let his parents know. Having a particularly strict father, Edgar was forced by him to study spelling that night, and when he couldn't do it, his father knocked him out of his chair. 
Edgar was forced to sit at the table all night learning his spelling and eventually fell asleep with his head in his book. The winged lady appeared to him again while he was sleeping and stated that she would help him. He woke up knowing every single word. His father thought he was messing with him and knocked him out of his chair again. Really nothing like good Christian love abusing your child, but anyways. Edgar Case truly knew his spelling after that night. Sleeping on his books is how he got through the rest of school, learning the information almost through some weird sleep osmosis. And I don't know a single high school or college kid who doesn't wish they had that ability. <laughs> Would be quite convenient. His father eventually became convinced he was being honest about this odd skill when, Ed when Edgar became the top of his class. He started telling other people about how magnificent his son was. After this, Edgar was injured in a baseball game and his coccyx was injured. After sleeping, he told his family the cure he had dreamed of and that he had dreamed up and they made up whatever concoction per his instructions. He took it, then there was no longer any pain or any other issues with that injury. His ability to dream of cures didn't return for many years after this though. The Case family moved to Hopkinsville, Kentucky in Edgar's eighth grade year. He only finished ninth grade because the family could not afford for him to no longer work, which was pretty common for this time in the late 1800s. It was normal for working class families to pull their children out of school, send them to work or make them work the farm to help support the family. Edgar started teaching Sunday school for a while and learned that he could see auras and talk to angels. If you don't know what an aura is, it's kind of like a color somebody goes off. Everybody has one, but not everybody can see them. You can actually go get your aura read. I did last October. Mine's green. So if you can read auras, tell me if I ever had a green one or if you think I'm a different color. I don't know. I think they're fun. I can't read them. I don't know anybody who can, but I think they're a fun thing to look into. But Edgar Case had this ability to read auras off of people. That didn't really pay his bills though. So, you know, Sunday school teacher, not a lot of money. Trying to read people's auras, a weird thing to charge for, kind of wasn't taken off for him. So around 1900, he started selling insurance with his father, but Edgar caught a bad case of laryngitis that he couldn't heal himself from, and it's hard to be in sales with no voice, so he took up photography for a bit. He also met and married his wife, Gertrude Evans, during this time, and then they met a hypnotist who tried to make his voice come back, but to no real success. The hypnotist went by the name of Laugh Man Hart who claimed hypnotizing and curing Case failed because Case couldn't get into the third state of hypnosis where one would normally surrender their whole mind to suggestion. That's when Case became sort of officially known as a clairvoyant. He started giving readings for people and his work and testimony started appearing in newspapers around this time. The wedding date of him and Gertrude Evans was June 17, 1903 in Bowling Green, Kentucky. They had three children together. Gertrude did not approve of him doing readings for people, mostly because she didn't understand them and it kind of scared her. Since Gertrude didn't approve of him doing readings for money, he opened a photography studio with a relative and made money that way, while only doing readings for people he thought desperately needed them. He wasn't going to turn away somebody he thought he could help. Later, a fire wiped out his photography studio and Case started doing readings with much reluctance, turning down many offers along the way. Then he started working alongside doctors in Hopkinsville to help diagnose patients when he would go into his trances. After this, Case moved around quite a bit in the following years from Kentucky to Selma, then Dayton, then to Virginia Beach. Case lived the last 20 years of his life in Virginia Beach from 1925 to 1945, and he did some of his most substantial work there. He opened a hospital with doctors, 
where psychic readings were used to determine the best course of treatments for patients, where what he suggested was tried on patients and the results were studied by doctors. It was a more like a whole research center more so than a hospital. But they had several great successes. He would say, hey, try this. A patient would get cured. So it was a cool thing that he could do that and truly see what people needed to heal themselves. In 1931, he started the ARE, or the Association for Research and Enlightenment, where he hosted readings and urged others to tap into their own abilities. He was a champion of holistic health, spirituality, diving into the Akashic records, and hosting workshops and conferences. Case also had his readings recorded here so they could become historical documents. And I love that he had the foresight to do this. But you know what? He's clairvoyant. He probably knew this would matter someday. The ARE also founded Atlantic University, which is a private school located at its Virginia Beach headquarters. The ARE and the Atlantic University are still up and running, and there are Edward Case centers in 37 other countries that focus on his teaching of psychic abilities, healing, and enlightenment. And I wish I would have known about Atlantic University in my college years instead of going to a community college that I failed out of because I was bored and I can't do math. Atlantic University isn't that. Like, they really teach you... I don't know, the crap that you care about, not math and chemistry that you'll never use again. Atlantic truly focuses on cases, teachings, and offers degrees and certificates and such things as transpersonal psychology, spiritual guidance, mentor training, mindful leadership, and other such things. And I might still look into this, like you're never too old to learn, and they do have online courses. They're probably outrageous though, I did not look at cost. Anyways, Around 1943, an article in Coronet Magazine featured Case and he gained national attention. The article called him the Miracle Man of Virginia Beach. And this was well into World War II and military families had deep concerns over the well-being of their loved ones who were missing in action. They came to Case for answers. Case had always tried to keep his readings to a minimum per day because they could be physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausting. He felt obligated to help these families, though, and increased his readings to up to six per eight today, which took a toll on his body. Between June of 1943 and 44, he had completed over 1,300 readings in just that year. He did a reading on himself at that point, and Spirit told him to rest until he was well or until he was dead. So he took a leave of absence from Virginia Beach at this time, and he and his wife retreated to the Virginia Mountains, where he had planned to get some rest, and then they were to come back once he felt ready and felt better. But unfortunately, while there visiting the mountains, he had a stroke in September of 1944 and died of complications on January 3rd, 1945. Gertrude died just three short months later. So that is Edgar Case, Henry Agrippa, and Nostradamus. They're all just such fascinating people who really did a lot for you know spirituality and clairvoyance. They did a lot of good work. And that is all I have for today, guys. I'm going to wrap it up. I will be back next week with a brand new cocktail and a brand new weird story. Until then, please give us a like and review and follow on Instagram at Highly Spirited Podcast. Cheers.